Welcome to Where We Land, a podcast that explores the relationship between Christ, culture, and the church. Hey, thank you for listening to Where We Land. I am Aaron Mansfield, and I'm joined here in the studio today with my co-host, Morgan McClure. Hey, everybody. And Stephen Vaughn. Greetings and salutations. Hey, guys. We are glad to be with you today, and we're excited as we're continuing our series talking about what is the church, and today we're talking about church leadership. So we hope you stick around for the whole episode today. You guys had a great week so far. It has been uh, colder weather here in uh, Virginia, and we are loving it, man. Sweater weather. Beanie season. It is beanie season. I have a beanie on my head today, and I'm so happy about it. Rocking the beanie, too. (laughs) I mean, that's great. Hunting season. That's what cold weather means. It has just been a, it's been a great week. Y'all have how's your week been? It's been it's been it's been good so far. I mean, it's Tuesday, so uh, we'll. We'll just see how the rest of the week goes. But I have to say, when you said hunting season, the only thing that I can think about is that movie uh, Drop Dead Gorgeous or something. With like the, Never seen that movie. Okay. <laughs> I haven't either. So. It's a ridiculous <laughs> movie, but it's it's so funny because they like live in Michigan or wherever. And this one of the girls who's in this beauty pageant, she works at a funeral home. And she's like, we're really busy this time of year, you know, hunting season. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just really funny. There it is. <laughs> my brother-in-law and my sister love that movie too. So well, it's like, a good laugh for them. This is for you, Matt and Meg. It is hunting season. I, I was able to spend eight hours on Saturday in God's creation. Man. I had done oh. my schoolwork on Friday. And then I had a little bit left over for Sunday. I got the work out of the way. And I was like, you know what? I'm taking all day. And Were I, you in the stand for eight hours? I was in, on the ground. Oh, so really? I went How four hours in the morning that? and Man, four hours in the afternoon. That is dedication. Guys, I almost had a deer walk on me. Like, I'm mm. sitting there. It's dark. It's 530 in the morning. It's pitch black. And all of a sudden, this blob starts, like, walking towards me. And I see white. And I was like, okay, it's a deer. And it kept walking and kept walking. <laughs> and it literally got, like, five yards away and just stopped. And I was like... Okay. And then it just like kept walking and it just did a little circle around me. And I was like, this is weird. But speaking of hunting season. Were you able to get anything? Uh, did you shoot your shot? Not this year. <laughs> no, so, not yet. Not this, not not the this other day. He's, he's already yeah. written off the whole season. <laughs> I'm done. So <laughs> I'm trophy hunting right now. So I'm just kind of waiting. Uh, okay. I have two actually like specific deer in mind. Okay. But speaking of hunting season, I heard that we have a bat hunter on the show today. Yeah. Yeah. I was, Professional driving, bat I was driving into the church early this morning. It was like six o'clock and I was going down the road and and all of a sudden, like, I just bang, something hit the window. And I think it was a bat, like... Or a bird? Flying well, squirrel? I don't know. Flying like, squirrel, the hair, <laughs> the hair on my dashboard of, Ooh. like, the window definitely did not look birdish. It looked like bats. So, yeah, bats that's, have a pretty um, specific hair. I'm thinking he saw the headlight and was driving to the light, mm-hmm. and then he ended up, didn't realizing there was a car there. Well, Emily, so, Emily hit a bat once, and she rode around with it in her grill for, like, a week. Until we found it, and we knew it was like a week because it smelled. I was afraid it was going to break my window. I mean, that's how hard it hit. Well, one flew so, into my dad's truck window many years ago no and hung way. on his jumper cables all the way home no behind his truck seat. So we found it. Set it was free. it alive? Yeah. Oh, that, yeah. That, that, that happened once too. Like we hit a bat and it was in the grill, and then like we came back out and it was gone. And it was yeah. like <laughs> the case of the mysterious. Was it around Halloween? It could have been Batman in disguise. Ah, uh, yes. Dracula. You know, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> the, the freaky bats come out this time of year. <laughs> Zombie bats. Zombie bats. Oh, that would just be something to add to 2020, wouldn't it? We had the murder hornets, so let's just add some zombie bats. Why not? <laughs> I was talking to somebody the other day, and they're like, "I am so ready to get through this year," and uh, know, thinking right? about the new year. I mean, it's just been a it has been a it's unique been a year. year, man. Uh, been a lot of stuff happening. The whole Monday of a year. <laughs> it feels like that, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Monday never ended. <laughs> Well, guys, why don't we just segue here a minute and and kind of jump into our topic today? You know, we got a really cool topic, and uh, we're talking about really leadership in God's church, and we're talking about biblical leadership. Uh, what does the Bible say about that? And um, you know, this is something that uh, every person who who attends a church can at least relate to. I think you know their church has leadership, and I think what often happens is we see churches with different types of leadership, uh, different kinds of leadership, different structure. And so uh, today on the podcast, we're just delving into the topic talking about what is biblical leadership and how is a church uh, really structured. So um, before we talk about biblical leadership, could we just simply talk about leadership for a minute? Um, What is leadership? 
Yeah, so um, leadership on a non-biblical plane or, is... or biblical plane. I mean, let's okay. So I mean, let's are we talk, starting well, like with biblical, or are we just starting with like? I mean, I think there's definition. a commonality of leadership that runs mm-hmm. throughout. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So, so what, leadership is an idea of I believe it is an idea of yes, there is someone in front leading, but it's also an influence. If you're a biblical leader, you are right. in among the people you are leading, mm-hmm. I believe. And there's been even even secular leadership has taken a turn to more of an influential style of leadership because they've seen the dangers of the one man up top in front in the top office who never sees the people. Mm-hmm. And they've seen the dangers of that and how it can become disconnected from the corporation that they lead. And mm-hmm. there's if you study leadership out, it's interesting to see kind of a turn in some of that. But in the mm-hmm. Bible, if you lo- want to look at a leader, Look at the Lord Jesus Christ. And what did he do? He lived among the people he was leading, and then he influenced them towards a set point. Mm-hmm. And the set point was himself. And so he influenced them to walk in the way in which he but walked. influence yeah, is it. I think that's a great definition. Well, also, I think, especially when you think about the Lord, he really started what what I have come to know as servant leadership. That's what mm-hmm. we talked about so much when I served on leadership teams at college. And then even in high school, I think some of the best leadership lessons that I learned came out of my experience as a color guard captain huh. in my marching band, because our director was so adamant about leading from behind and from underneath. He mm-hmm. said, people aren't going to follow you unless you're willing to do what you're asked, what you you're, unless you're willing to do what you are asking your followers to do. I mean, and amen. so it's, it's um, I think sometimes in a lot of the broader world, it can get turned on its head where it is that right. figurehead. But servant leadership is, yes. true leadership is leading from underneath and from behind. Yes. However, there are points, I think even when you see in scripture, that a leader does have to go out front and sure. set that, mm-hmm. sure. set almost... But that's influence. I it mean, is. If, if there's not people following a leader, then the leader's not leading. It is right. true. It's, I mean, they're, they're, they're leading by their influence. Exactly. I believe it starts um, and continues in what you were saying, Morgan, that servant leadership from behind and below. But it also, that is what catapults you into the role of leadership and influence where mm-hmm. you can go out front and say, hey, this is where we're going. I'll take the brunt. Let's go, you know, yeah. right? And because um, there, you do see that in scripture where there are times where a leader is called to take charge in a sense yeah. in a no, yeah. in a correct way, but there is times for that. That's yeah. a responsibility of it. But that's so, earned through trust sure. well, and, and serving about, and being we, among yeah, the sheep. And yeah. You think about Jesus, uh, like on his way to Jerusalem. You know, he was out in front, and then the people were following him. But once there, you know, I always think about him washing the disciples' mm. feet at the Last Supper. So, um, he just incorporates all of it as he should because he is ultimately our our high leader. <laughs> yeah, what, a number of years ago when I was working at Chick-fil-A and I worked there for a number of years, one of the mottos that we would say was great leaders serve, mm-hmm. you know, and, Ooh, and you just look at but yes, you just Chick-fil-A. look at like yeah, Chick-fil-A's rocking it, man. <laughs> uh, I mean, they're rocking it especially in the midst of COVID and all oh, of yeah. this like drive-through. I mean, whoever invented Chick-fil-A's drive-through is killing it right now. And uh, but you know, we they, we would often talk about great leaders serve, you know, and great leaders are great followers. Mm-hmm. And 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 it's because they've modeled that by their influence and by the who they are. You know, and when we think about in the Bible, Jesus selecting leaders, I mean, in many senses, he ignored every popular idea in his day, mm-hmm. including our own. I mean, he did not select people based off of how often society would select people for leadership. But Jesus's disciple band was like highly untrained and probably with very little influence. I mean, think about the people that he selected. I mean, tax collectors and fishermen, and, fishermen. fishermen. <laughs> and, and even as Jesus is teaching in Matthew 20, um, Jesus is teaching his disciples what true leadership looks like. And, mm-hmm. you know, he says to them in verse 25, he says, you know, that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And um, and they and their great ones exercise authority over them. But Jesus tells his followers, he tells his disciples who will be leaders in his church. He says, it shall not be so among you Mm. for whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, Jesus right there is is setting up for us that uh, true leadership is really true service. Mm-hmm. I mean, so let's think about that a minute. How did Jesus serve us as as he came into this world, uh, as he lived among 
people? I mean, how did Jesus demonstrate that aspect of servanthood? I mean, Philippians uh, 2, right? Yeah. He yeah, gave up of himself and set aside his, some of his privilege to come and to live in the form of a man. And like how great an act of service that is, you know, he, he went to the lowest of the lows mm. to come to us. And so he gave up some privilege and he came and was in the form of a man and he lived among us. And like you said, he washed feet, like literally the most despicable act or one of the top, I mean, you could argue as a, it was a pretty despicable act, maybe not a top despicable act, but it was in early culture. Despicable in the sense that it was just like, it's, it's not what the what, slaves did. Yeah. Like, what, so for someone who had honor to do that, it was dishonoring it's what the yourself. the servant boys did. Gross. Um, and you don't do it. And it especially if you're a leader. And think in those days, I mean, like you're talking caked mud, sweat, you know, like it's disgusting. And he did that. Yeah. So he went to the lowest of the low points to prove that he is a servant. And he did anything and everything that was asked of us today as Christians, he was right. willing to do because he lived the life we were supposed to live. And he was the best follower in his human state he said mm-hmm. i do, you know i do what like the father's will is you know and so mm-hmm. he never ever went against um god the father and that unity was there and that he was he was the best follower <laughs> yeah i found this quote someone said this that jesus kind of leadership is where the god of all power and glory gives his life to save the souls of fallen men who have rejected him the kind of leadership that gains by giving lives by dying and rises by kneeling hmm. And it's oh, like, man, good. that's exemplary of of what it means to be a leader. And, and, and you know, so we talk about today as we're continuing our conversation of what is the church, uh, one of the things we have to talk about is kind of the biblical offices of leadership in God's church, what, uh, what God has set up in his blueprint of how his church ought to be. So as we look at the Bible and we think about the offices or um, types of leadership that we see in God's church, what, what, are, what are some of those things? Well, I, I mean, I have like, how many are there? <laughs> I, cause I, I, this is one of those things that I just grew up with. So it's not like, when I don't you know. you say grew it's, up with, what do you mean by that? Well, the, the, the church that I grew up in, um, the main offices that I saw were the pastors and then the deacons who served. And so are there more than two? Is it just two? Are those the correct two? You know? Educate me. <laughs> well, so it depends on uh, how you interpret scripture, right? So some would say there's two. Um, I've heard some say there's three. And I believe some would argue, some four, would argue four. Let's talk about the words. Let's talk about yes. the words the Bible uses to refer so, to those offices. And then we can, I think later in the episode, let's start working some of this out yeah, so and talk about how that comes together. Starting around the office of a pastor elder, sure. there's generally three words that are attributed to this one word that we now have. It would be uh, presbyteros, the original Greek word for elder, uh, episkopos, the original word for overseer. It has also been translated in some as bishop. And then also poimain, which is referencing the shepherding act where a lot of... Which we would talk about as a pastor or a shepherd. We would really refer to a pastor. Pastor teacher. Like poimain, shepherd, he's overseeing God's flock. Now, depending on how you interpret scripture and depending on who you are, some would say, well, that's three different roles. And some would say that's two. Some would say it all refers to one. What do you say, Stephen? I would believe that it refers to one overarching role. However, there are people who maybe at times can uh, fulfill the overseer role in a bigger way. I believe there are people in life who have been gifted as um, confidants and people who can help pastors along in their life. However, as a specific office, I believe that those three words refer to one overarching office of a pastor elder, pastor slash elder. Yeah, I I would agree with that. I think if you look at the Bible, all three of those words are referring to one office. And you can see places, um, not just, you know, in 1 Timothy where that is outlined, but really I think the most clearest place is to see it in, um, in Acts 20. And, and you see there in Acts 20, um, Paul, as he is writing, or he's really talking uh, to the Ephesian elders, he's actually talking to the elders of the church. In Acts 20, verse 17, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. So here's this group of elders, and they're coming. And he admonishes them, and he says, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And there's that word for overseer or bishop. And then he tells them to be shepherds, uh, to act in the shepherding way 
of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. And so I just think that's a, such a clear picture of seeing all three of those biblical words come together, referring to one group of people, uh, but who acted in those three ways. And I think it's helpful to think about what those words communicate, yeah. right? So the word elder is a word that refers to spiritual maturity. It's a word that refer- refers to understanding. And so, you know, the word elder was a word that was familiar uh, in, in Jewish culture, especially with the elders of Israel, the mm-hmm. uh, fathers of Israel, people that had this type of mature oversight role, this this maturity in the nation of Israel. And so here, you know, the, the New Testament picks up on that word, referring to elders in the church, those who are spiritually mature in their understanding. But the word overseer or the word bishop that you said, Stephen, is a word that is literally the idea of a guardian. Uh, it's the idea of someone who supervises or who rules. Uh, it's it's somebody who is over uh, seeing something else or someone else. And then, of course, then that word to be shepherds or to shepherd is this idea of, of to lead and to, 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 to take care of sheep. And so I think you see there in Acts 20 a real clear picture of this office of a pastor, elder, bishop being someone uh, who is someone who is spiritually mature and they're understanding somebody who is guarding the church of God, overseeing, uh, ruling the church of God, helping the church of God in that way. And then ultimately the way they do that is by the way they lead and the way they care for the sheep. Yeah, a great passage that supports the actions that you mentioned is 1 Peter 5, where Peter oh, says, good. the elders which are among you, I exhort, who I am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Then he says this, here's the actions of the elders, feed the flock. By the way, the verb, it's a verb there. However, it's the verb foin, form. Poim. Poim. <laughs> it's the verb form of poimain. Yes, feed. It's right. the verb form of right. that word for shepherd. And right. then he also says taking the oversight. And again, it is the form of episkopos. And it's right. these actions of so of feed, shepherding. shepherd, mm-hmm. and then also take the oversight, bishop, right. oversee. And so you see here in Ephesians 5 that elders And even do Peter was actions. one of those elders there in the he Jerusalem was. Council. We see that in he Acts was. 15. And so this passage, it just supports Acts like in an incredible way by right. saying, hey, elders, here's your actions. Mm -hmm. And I believe that this is one overarching role and that as an elder, you are someone who is mature, but you're also someone who is shepherding and you're overseeing. Right. And I think, oh, I'm sorry, Morgan. I was just just going to summarize and see if I'm getting what you're picking up, what you're throwing down. So, um, this is like one overarching office, but it's not necessarily one person. No, I think it is. uh, Well, it, once again, depending on who you ask, okay. I think I think the cl- the clarifying thing is it's one office, but it's it's seen in different functions. Okay. So I think you think about the office of a pastor, elder, bishop. This is it's an office in the Church of God, but the function of that is clearly communicated by the words the Bible uses for that. Mm-hmm. So rather than just saying, "Oh, we have a we have an elder in the church," but we don't really know what that means. You know, those words communicate what that means. So in this office of biblical leadership within God's church, you see that those who serve as elders, bishops, pastors have this responsibility of being spiritually mature people in the congregation, people that uh, have this responsibility to guard the congregation and to oversee and supervise in ways. And the way they do that is by their care for the church and by their care for the flock. I think a place that really helps support all this too is in First Timothy chapter 3. This is a chapter that Paul writes to Timothy. Remember, uh, just the kind of the background, Timothy is a pastor at the church of Ephesus. And, and Paul's really kind of helping Timothy as he is pastoring there uh, to really uh, put in order the church of God in the way that God would have for him to do it. And so what we what we really see is that you you read the book of Acts and what you see is in the church in its, in its infancy over a period of, of months and years begins to take a more formative shape. And you see that like in Acts 13, right? Paul and Barnabas are going into places and they're appointing elders in every city. And then you see those elders from those different churches in Acts 15 coming together there in the Jerusalem council. But but by this time, as Paul writes 1 Timothy, I, I think I think historically it's like 50, 60 years almost. No, no, 30 years, 30 years. I'm sorry. It's like 30 years after the church had started in Acts. And so over a period of 30 years, you see kind of what was in its infancy and its practice become really formative in the church. And Paul 
really outlines two offices in the church. He, in verses 1 through 7, describes the office of an overseer, and then in verses 8 through 13, he describes the office of a deacon uh, in the church. And really, he's giving qualifications for both of those things. And so I think First Timothy is just a really helpful place to see both of those offices in, in view when he's talking about a church. But then you can go to other places in the Bible, like First, Tim, First Peter, like Titus, like the book of Acts, and you can see the function of how an overseer is to uh, yeah. do. Yeah, because yeah, right. Timothy and Titus, First uh, Timothy and then also Titus, they're very specific in the qualifications that they give. And so while some might interpret and say, oh, well, there's all these different words. Well, yes, there's different words, but if you compare the words through Scripture, it points towards this one office of pastor, elder, bishop, and then also another office of deacon. Yeah, and so you let's see, take that next you office. You see the then. qualifications so, there for those two offices. Mm. And if you're looking at others, yeah, there's different words, but as far as qualifications, it's kind of hazy. These are specific. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about then the, the next. So the one office would be of an elder, uh, pastor, bishop, some, some, some individual in the church who is spiritually mature is guarding, supervising, overseeing, leading, caring for the flock in that way. But then Paul also talks to Timothy and beginning in verse eight of, um, he talks about deacons likewise must be dignified. So uh, what is what what is the word deacon in scripture mean? Yeah, so deacon really points towards this act of um Morgan, you got this one? I do got this do you one. Have this one? Just let, let her take uh, the thunder. Do you want to go? Yeah, so sorry, I, I didn't mean, mean to interrupt no, you. No, no, it's, 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 I was just thinking Morgan has this. My I understanding is very basic, but um the way that I've been taught is that deacon really encompasses the service, like the service aspect. Like they were the ones who served like the they served people like food and like the widows, right? Sure. No, and, and okay. there's and there's a reason for that because okay. <laughs> the word deacon in the Bible is literally the Greek word that means servant. Diakonos yeah, is, yeah. is the word for servant. Diakonos so, literally that's the term. So it's, that they it's would so, call servant. It's so cool is that you know God takes this word, this generic word for servant or service. And then he actually takes it to mean an office in his church, mm-hmm. right? And so there's this office of service, um, and which we would refer to as the office of a deacon. So before we jump in and begin to talk about the function of these offices and how this plays out kind of in the church, I think it's really important when we're talking about leadership, we're talking about the type of leadership or the kind of leadership, the character of people that would serve in leadership in God's church. So, you know, what does the Bible prescribe for for character, for the type of people that are leading the church in this way? I mean, it it presents, if you're looking across the board here for like a uh, pastor, elder, an overseer, you see someone who is... And a deacon, I would, right? Or are yes, you making a distinction there? Because Yes, I, I believe that most of the qualifications and characters would be the same. I think that there is a little read, bit of an extra I read First Timothy, weight. and the only thing I see in First Timothy that is mentioned of an office of an overseer that is not mentioned in an office of a deacon is to be able to teach, apt to teach. Is Titus, does Titus present one? I couldn't remember if Titus did. That's why I said, that's why I gave the maybe, because I couldn't you, remember about the Titus. About Titus. I know in Timothy it adds up, but I couldn't remember if Titus acted, added an extra character quality or not. Meaning, meaning for, what? For pastors. No, I think he's, I think he's, I think he's talking about the character of those yeah. in the church of God. So yeah, then, then the character qualities would be I mean, because I think we're talking about leadership in the church. There's a type of character for all Agreed. who would serve Agreed. in leadership in the church. Agreed. I just couldn't remember about Titus. That's why I didn't want to say something wrong on a podcast and then get an email. <laughs> so that's why I said maybe. Um, however, uh, self-control, I think that that's a big one that it comes from both offices that mm-hmm. they should have a self-control. They should have a, uh, I love the word that it uses a, um, soberness, a maturity there, you know, there's a maturity across the board and it's not talking about perfection. Um, oftentimes I think in the past there has been a unhealthy view of leadership and holding them to a godly standard that no man or woman could ever (laughs) fulfill in their lives. Right. Mm -hmm. However, um, there is to be a maturity and there is to be a Christ like this there that is healthy, visible, specific, and alive. Yeah. And in the same, Mm -hmm. in the same sense as that across the board, like I 
I take special notice uh, um, of the term blameless or above reproach, mm-hmm. which you see describing all of and these I think, offices. Exactly. And I think that word to be above reproach is actually like framing the rest of what Paul's about to yeah. say. Like he's describing what it means to be above reproach. And this is what it looks like. Uh, because, I mean, that word above reproach is literally the idea like someone can't catch you anything or hold mm-hmm. on to you or because like of something. Or like point at something in your life and say, that's not cool. That's you know? what's, yeah. yeah, that's what's it's keeping like you Teflon. from like they're what? Teflon. Have you what ever heard that illustration? No. no. Give what us is that? Teflon. Nothing sticks to Teflon. I mean, I know what nothing is, sticks is, to Teflon. But is, where are you okay, going? So, first, you need to. Add, what is Teflon? <laughs> so Teflon is <laughs> a material. That. Is that a Chick Fil A? Teflon is a material <laughs> on the that grill. stuff won't stick to. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And like the illustration, they always uh, that I always heard growing up was like your life should be like Teflon, where people can't look at your life and say that is a problem, mm-hmm. that's a problem, that's a problem, how your life should be this mm. ability that, like you said, you can't grab onto something in your life and say, right. that is specifically wrong but, to where yeah. you are blameless. That's good. I learned something new every day. Yeah, no, that, I tell you, that stuff's hard to clean too, man. At Chick-fil-A, we had it on the grill. Like, that was like the worst thing at night was cleaning the Teflon off the grill because, I because think if, food didn't stick to it, but everything yeah, else is like stuck to the Teflon. The reason that they like, would give that illustration yeah. is because people in leadership roles will face, I believe, um, sometimes challenges throughout Mm -hmm. their lives, right? And when you're in leadership, I mean, just look at our national array of leadership right now and how there's always going to be accusations and things, but they said that to be like, you need to live a holy life to where if there is a challenge or there is an accusation that your stick. life backs up. Exactly. Yeah. It can't stick where because they, they don't have any grounds because to people find are like, yeah, people look those. at your life and they're like, there's no matching up. Yeah, of that. Yeah. And yeah. I think, you know, the thing is, is like if those who serve in leadership in God's church have not just a testimony in the church, but they have a testimony outside mm-hmm. of the church. There's a church yeah, in town so that uh, the way that they uh, call their pastors is the church doesn't necessarily vote on it, but they have like this approval disapproval process. And uh, the process is, is such that not only those in the congregation, uh, if there's something that they would disapprove in terms of a man's character or qualifications. But as I was talking to the pastor who kind of set that uh, in the trajectory for the church, he was like, here's the thing. We should want everybody in the community to approve mm-hmm. or disapprove of this person. Like, oh, yeah. you know, like well, meaning, meaning, you know, his name does not come before the congregation. And then all of a sudden there's all of these laden accusations about that man's character. Mm-hmm. He's like, you know, if, if you're, if, if, a, if a pastor stepping into a role in a church, like and even the sheriff in town should know the type mm-hmm. of person that he is. Like, so what Paul's outlining there is that this man who serves in God's church in this way is somebody who's above reproach. And I feel like that is the most weighty one mm-hmm. in terms of everything else that comes in the rest of the list. Because, I mean, that that's like one of those clarifiers that even if Paul doesn't address something in 1 Timothy 3, if, if something in your life is, is not matched in that way of not being above reproach, then yeah. it's a disqualification. The above reproachness is like the lens that you're looking through. That's a good way to say yeah, it. Yeah. To see this person. Are right. the, does, does all these things in their life, is that above reproach? You know, as I see Paul talking to to Titus there in Titus, he's talking about guys who are stepping into that role as he's, a, as he's appointing elders in that church, which is really a new church. And he's kind of revived idolizing the work there in Crete. Um, he's to select people with stable character, you know, mm. people that have the spiritual outlook in their life and they're not ambitious for the position. It's like mm-hmm. the Bible does speak about those who would serve in God's church have desire, but it's different than just vying for a position or, or wanting that type of rule. I mean, cause that's what, that's what Peter is so strong about in first Peter five, where he talks about exercising oversight, but not under compulsion, but willingly mm-hmm. not for shameful gain, but eagerly and not domineering over those in your charge, but by being examples to the flock, mm-hmm. right? So um, what else? Anything else in terms of character of those who would serve in God's church? I mean, there's a lot of character qualities, but as far as like blameless is the one from which the ones fall under. And I think if we take time to go through every word, we're going to be here for sure. hours. So we just tell people first Timothy three and Titus, and, 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 and Titus, Titus. one, and, and you could look there for qualifications and the character, you know, well, let me ask you this though, before we move on from this, just what strikes you guys as you read that list of qualifications for those who would serve in leadership in God's church? I mean, it's it, what strikes me is it's a big deal. And it's also a thing of like, Hey, this is something that is weighty. And there are things there that must be met. And it also strikes me that in the big C church, like um, as a, across the board, um, is this truly the grid by which we judge our leadership 
or is it some other way? Mm-hmm. Um, I think too often we add so many things qualifications to God's that word we would want, yeah. that aren't there or we don't disregard the ones we disregard that are there. The ones that yeah. are there. Yeah. And I think if you look at a lot of the issues across the board in the big C church of today, could some of them have been resolved if we had been more scriptural in the process of who's a leader and who's not? I think the thing that's most striking to me is throughout these long, long lists of characteristics and qualifications, the person who is going to embody these is the humble person and the person who has a deep sense of humility and knowing Mm. um, their position in Christ and also subordinate to him. Because you're never going to find a, a, a proud person who's going to be, you know, who's going to embody these characteristics in the right way. The proud person will be one to want this position out of compulsion or to be greedy for power or to lord it over the people under them. But the true um, shepherd and overseer, deacon, they are the example of humility, just as Christ was the example of humility. Sure. And I think even, you know, first Peter picks up on this when Peter's talking about talking about the elders that are among you, and he tells them as a fellow elder, but he, he describes how they are to shepherd the flock of God. But then he tells them there in um, in verse four, that when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive an unfading crown of glory. And, and with that is this understanding that, well, Christ is the chief shepherd. Christ is the chief shepherd. And, and the elders, pastors, bishops are just under shepherds. Mm-hmm. And ultimately they're standing and giving an account to Christ Mm-hmm. in the way that they led his church and the way that they served his church. And so, man, that's a humbling thing is mm-hmm. like, you know, taking on the responsibility of those in your care. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what it means to be a shepherd is that you're shepherding sheep, right? Yeah. So, I mean, to stand before God one day and give an account for how well you shepherded, how well you cared for his flock. Um, you know, I've been reading just in, in scripture in the Old Testament about uh, Israel and how Israel failed as the leaders in Israel failed to shepherd God's people. And the indictment that God gives to the elders and the leaders and the the priest in the Old Testament about how they scattered God's sheep rather than cared for mm-hmm. God's sheep, and just the indictment against them is is profound. Mm-hmm. And like that, that is weighty. That is a weighty thing. So, um, so we talk about qualifications. Let's let's kind of shift gears here a minute. What do you want to say, Stephen? Have we talked about qualifications or character? I think we talked about both because we're just we're just referring people back to First Timothy three and Titus one. Unless where else you want to go with it? So I was just I was just curious. Is there a qualification that is different though for an elder than a deacon? I think Ooh, we kind okay, of, yeah, we, I think we, we kind that. of like we touched it, but we touched didn't really it. Hit but it. like, I think that's a big question that people might have: sure. is like, are they the same thing? Are elders and mm-hmm. deacons the same thing? Sure. Yeah, like where's the line that makes one a pastor and one a deacon? Ooh, that's good. Yeah. So there is one qualification in First Timothy uh, three that you see described in the office of an elder or overseer that you do not see described in a qualification for a deacon. And that is, um, it's right there in first Timothy I'm three down towards on. the, you know what verse it is? Um, I had it pulled up just a second ago. I believe ago. it's verse two. Oh, there it is. It is verse two. Thank you. Uh, it talks about someone who is able to teach apt to teach. And you don't see that described in qualification of a deacon. So I think the clearest way to think about this is that elders, pastors, bishops, that office and the office of a deacon, both are offices of service. Like they both serve. But the way they serve is different. So pastors, elders, bishops serve by the ministry of the word. And as they teach the word of God, they are leading the congregation by the word of God. And so they teach through serving the word. Now, the way that deacons serve is, I think, much more of a physical, practical, functional service. And I think a clear way you can see this is in the book of Acts, Mm -hmm. even though what's described there is the apostles and then what they didn't even say deacons, but I think there's the practice of that being formed Mm -hmm. in Acts 6. And what you say, the apostles say, it's not right for us to give up the word of God to serve tables, but the word there that is serving is actually that word to serve, serve the word, right? Mm So it's like one office is leading the church of God through their service of the word and how that would 
formulate everything in terms of how the church is being led and directed and cared for. And then the other office is truly an office of service in God's, in God's church of, of caring. And you see in Acts 6, the meals on wheel ministry. And, <laughs> I mean, in other places, you can see how the deacons are caring for widows uh, and those in their care. Yeah, I would also argue, too, that there is a difference between pastor, elder, whichever one word you want to use, and the office of a deacon. Uh, in the sense of how the words are used through Scripture and how the offices are seen in Scripture. Um, Yes, there's a teaching, but there's also a leading aspect in Scripture that you see that pastor elders are on the line and they are accountable to God for the church in a way that I don't believe you're going to find deacons mentioned in Scripture. Uh, there is a shepherding and an oversight aspect throughout the New Testament that is attributed been entrusted that responsibility. to the elders, yeah. pastors, that has not been entrusted to the deacons. Sure. And um, I, I believe if you just study it, you're going to find that. Sure, sure. So let's just kind of go further from this and talk about, okay, not just talk about the qualifications, but let's just really kind of lean into the functions of that, right? So how do we see these responsibilities of God's church functioning? We see, let's, let's start with the office of a pastor, elder, bishop, that office. How do we see, what are the functions of that office in the church? I think one of the most obvious ones is the pastor, elder, you know, whoever is the one teaching the word, especially in our Baptist circles on a Sunday morning worship service. You know, they are the ones who are bringing the word to the congregation. Okay. First Peter 5, feed the flock. Mm-hmm. You got to feed them. Uh, sure. as part of shepherding. I, I believe that... So there's a responsibility, a function of feeding? Yes. I believe that the functions are wrapped up in the words that are used for it in Scripture. And I believe that, like, when you see the term shepherd, well, there's an aspect of feeding, leading, protecting, and caring for the flock. Mm-hmm. And then you see the word So how elder. do we see those things flushed out then in the church? I mean, in terms of oh. feeding the church, well, like Morgan's saying, uh, through the Word of God, yeah. uh, preaching teaching the word of God through leading. So how are they leading? I believe that pastors are given to the church to, to give vision and a, a leading aspect of, hey, hey, church, this is where God is taking us. And so let's get in the game, sure. you know, and, and influence and servant leadership like we've already talked about. But I they're think, given yeah. there to to kind of be the one who bears the brunt well, even of first that. Peter, I mean, as a fellow elder mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. as an under shepherd, the responsibility of a shepherd is to lead sheep. Mm-hmm. And so as an under shepherd following the chief shepherd, you know, that's the visible leader in the mm-hmm. sense, in terms of a local congregation. So they're feeding, leading, uh, you mentioned care, protection uh, and do, care yeah. kind of both together, but it's the aspect of like pastors are the ones who, when there is a problem in a sheep's life, so maybe they've gotten away from the Lord or they're going through a time that's really tough or um, there's needs to be some protection spiritually from those around them. I believe a pastor shepherd is the one who is coming into their life and saying, Hey, um, if they're away from the Lord, Hey, of this is where we need to come and discipline back. and yeah. mm-hmm. exhortation though, too. Sure. And even encouragement, like yeah, there's exactly. a time where people yeah. need encouragement and edification of lifting up and saying, Hey, I know so-and-so has really has really had an influence in your life in a negative way, but like, this is who you are in Jesus Christ, you know, and that protection from Mm. wolves. Mm. Uh, The Bible Mm, speaks much of that, you know? Right. So, I mean, you hit on a lot of the functions of a pastor. Let's talk a little bit about functions of a bishop or an overseer. So with that word comes a a kind of a function and what, yeah. And so the pastor elder in this sense is overseer is more of the idea of the oversight of, right? It's right there in the word. Supervision, a guardian Supervision of, yeah. and this idea of in something that has been entrusted that they are to care and look over. Sure. Um, and, and it has that idea of there's an oversight of looking to the things of the church and making sure that they are where they should be, you know? Sure. Sure. Morgan, well, how would you add to that? So with your experience and like what you see in the Bible and like, how do you see that playing out? Yeah. I mean, um, I, I see all of those playing out, you know, especially, I mean, like I said before, or may not have said this, but I've grown up pretty much in the same church for um, the last 15 years of my life and a little bit more when I first lived here. Um, but I, I've i seen uh, having a couple of pastors over the years, just how that the, the leadership in the sense of um, the congregation is following them because they know the pastor is, you know, a man of his word. He's above reproach. Um, and then even my family, you know, be at times when we were going through hardship, the pastor pouring into us, um, 
and having that encouragement. But, you know, there's also the not so fun parts of being a, a pastor, elder, overseer is like the discipline and that and that happens. Um, but it's it's always good when you see these things um, in a very practical way and it becomes less of like just these lofty words in scripture. But sure. um, to have like God has blessed my church so much by I think giving giving you guys as our pastors because um, you take it seriously and it's it's um, people are really willing to follow you because they know who you are following. I, I think there's an aspect of being a shepherd that is truly the biggest thing is knowing the flock. Mm-hmm. And it's like you see that in Christ and, you know, in Psalm 23, he leads me in paths of righteousness. And so here, you know, he restores my soul. Uh, he leads me in for his namesake. You mm-hmm. know, there's this aspect of even in moments of trial, like he knows the sheep and and, and Christ, once again, as he, you know, I, I think about when Jesus came upon that city and he just weeped over how they were just scattered without a shepherd. Mm-hmm. And it's like his heart is is one of reaching people and, and seeing them uh, not only restored, but living a fulfilled life and, and pursuing what truly matters. And it's like as a shepherd... Um, I think what happens is is why we hear those biblical words, and sometimes we push back against those offices or the office of that, because I think we've seen probably in the church uh, at large just abuse of mm. of that indictment. I mean, it's like what Jesus said about the elders and priests in Israel. I mean, how they scattered sheep rather than caring for them, and and so you know that once again, I just think that's so true. It's mm-hmm. it's. It's, it's coming back to the understanding that this is not a position like we would think about um, types of like leadership in, in secular corporations or yeah. in governmental hierarchies. Mm-hmm. And this is just like, oh, this is a place of authority and rule. But like, no, once again, like the, the responsibility of leading God's church is a responsibility of service because you care for the people that have been entrusted to you and they've been put into your care. And so, so we see that function there. I think the, the, the other one is the function of deacons. You know, the one interesting thing I find in the Bible is that the Bible does not really define what deacons do other than describe who they are. Um, so is that a good thing or a bad thing? Or why does the Bible do that? Well, I think there's a certain sense of, you know, when a church has deacons, I think maybe why it's left a little bit vague in scripture is because deacons really flesh out specific needs of that local congregation and, you know, um, in a unique way. Yeah. And it's very specific to, to the needs of the church, but they're also an extension of the functions. Like the pastor can't be everywhere at once. He can't be, he can't be counseling, you know, hurting members all at the same time. And I think that's part of the way that deacons serve in a huge way. They take on a lot of the caring, you know, Mm. and, and the, and the serving in very practical, physical, ways like for example if um, my dad serves as a deacon and someone who's in his care team is what we call them uh, at our church uh, he goes to the hospital and he and he sits with them and you know prays with them and it's very it's sure. like rubber meets the road kind of you yeah, know yeah, yeah. I, I, someone has once said that that deacons are an extension of the heart hands uh, and feet of pastoral ministry as it relates to practical issues. And I just think, yeah. man, that's a good way to say it mm-hmm. because it's like, Sums it up pretty well. yeah, given, given however a church is set up and what the ministries and needs of that church are like those men who are serving in that role are an extension of that ministry uh, in those practical ways. Stephen, how would you add to that? Yeah. I think it's just pretty straightforward that when, because the word for deacon in scripture is one word and it also is literally the description of it is in the word. <laughs> I think it's pretty straightforward. <laughs> I mean, it, this, One who serves. the function of it is in the word and pastoral is a little bit more specific because it has a little bit more of a like specific roles and functions there. However, the office of a deacon is pretty straightforward. It's one who serves and it's one who serves the church and they are there. And so how that works out in each church might be a little different, uh, but that is the main function. Sure. Yeah, I, I look at Acts 6 and I see a few ways that deacons were serving there and they were serving 
as kind of uh, administrators of ministry. I mean, they're handling things in that way. They're servant leaders by who they mm-hmm. were in the church. They were recognized as leaders in the church. Uh, they had this element of peacemaking, right? Because there was problems yeah. in the church that they were there helping mediate. Conflict resolution, man. Yeah, man. <laughs> so they were problem solvers. And uh, and then there was really an aspect of care that you see them exercising there to the widows. And so I say, well, those four things and for certainly uh, seem to stand out in scripture of, of what deacons do. So let's just kind of end by talking a little bit about the leadership structure of the Church of God, because once again, we maybe pull um, to a, a higher view and we see uh, different denominations and different types of even churches um, governing uh, a little differently in how they're mm-hmm. set up, right? So um, there's kind of three big buckets, if you could think about it that way, of, of church structure that you see probably predominantly uh, in the landscape of churches. One would be kind of an Episcopal model, one would be a Presbyterian model, and one would be a congregational model. And ultimately, there's a there's a mix of all three of them. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> they and, all and flow uniqueness, out of that, right? Yeah. But let's just kind of talk about what they are maybe in their formative way and, and what type of churches often embrace that type of structure. And maybe we talk about the positives and negatives of each of those things. What do y'all think? Yeah. All right. Let's so let's start with the Episcopal structure. What what makes an Episcopal structure that? So this would be one that is much more hierarchy based. Um, there is the church with the leader slash leaders of the church and then the leaders of the leaders and then the leader of the leaders, you right. know, and it's kind of the, one of the best examples would be like looking at a it's system. highly bishop governed. So the yes. overseers, so you have kind of threefolds, you have bishops, you have pres. Uh, priest and then you have deacons and and ultimately how that church is governed is by bishops yeah that that ordain priests and they ordain deacons but the bishops are the ones that are over that the best practical example of something like an episcopal church would be um like i i mean you see it in a catholic catholic the roman catholic church um, church. and Methodist methodist church would be that too like your priests your cardinals, mm-hmm. your pope, and it's right. these different hierarchies of structure. And the way the hierarchy is laid out is different based on denomination, but there is levels but it's to all, the hierarchy. It's an idea of bishops, though. That's mm-hmm. the thing. It's like you have bishops that are overseeing each of these things. And so like a Methodist church, an Anglican church, Roman Catholic church, a lot of your Eastern Orthodox churches would be this type of structure. But they all have that very visible tiered hierarchy. It's hierarchy. Sure. Yeah. And it all comes up to a point. Like um, a triangle. It's, yeah, right. it's a triangle. That's what it is. You're exactly right. So where do they get that from in scripture? Well, they would interpret that bishop is an overseer of elders mm-hmm. and shepherds. And so, so they, they would, would make a distinction between elders and pastors or priests yes. as they would often refer to them. Yes. And they would separate that from bishops. And depending on where you're at, some might even take it and say, well, those are three different offices. And so you have your bishops, your elders, and then your shepherds. And so it'd be even kind of like in the Catholic church, you have your um, cardinals, your priests, and you have all these different roles, right? Who oversee different overseers. Sure. But it's all based on a tiered hierarchy of A boom, ruling boom, bishop boom. is really yes. what it comes down to. And, yes. And I, I, the places they would go would probably be like Acts 15. They see, you know, one of those bishops or elders that came to the Jerusalem council taking that type of role in that way. I think they would also look at like Galatians 2, where Peter is talked about a pillar of the church or you see ultimately go to Peter James in Mm -hmm. the church of Jerusalem being a pillar of the church. And so they would look at like, they would look at those men who were elders, bishops, pastors, apostles, but they would look at them and say, well, this is somebody who was ruling. This was, this is where the buck stops here kind of person. Right. So yeah, that model would heavily use the person of Peter. Sure. Uh, They might use others, but Peter is like a big part of how they would get there. And then, so then the secondly, Presbyterian would be really a governance of elders, right? Mm -hmm. And so once again, in this church, in this type of setup, there is representatives of the local church and the local church is selecting elders among them. And it's the elders uh, who are elected out of that local membership uh, to really... um, govern the church. And so you would have, a, you know, a, a local church that would do this and then forming a, a presbytery. And then above that would be like a synod. And then above that would be like a general assembly. And so it, it does have that same type of structure, but it's, in, not in, it's different in the sense that it's not top down. It's, it's selected from within the congregation. And then those men have a responsibility in each one of those kind There's of levels. Also not a like 
per per se, there's not a ruling elder like a pope in that sense who decrees. It's more of an even keeled approach Shared to leadership. leadership among the congregation. But it yeah. is like it, it they, still they within do, a large structure. They do, and they do control the what happens in the church as a whole, the denomination as a whole. It still is, but it's there. elected. It's not like yes. Is it a exactly. helpful, succeeded. Is it a helpful is analogy helpful? to compare it to like Congress in a way where they're selecting representatives Ooh. without you know? take the president, Supreme Court, right, and all, yeah, that all that out? Yeah, just like the <laughs> House sure. of Congress, like a Senate, yeah, because it gets yeah. bigger and bigger, right from locality. Yeah, yeah that's a good way to say then, it. Yeah, but they all have an then. equal share in the pot and sure. they might have somebody who leads like the speaker mm-hmm. however the speaker's one among he's still, equals yeah, one among he's equals. just leading yeah. to keep things moving hey that's exactly. great morgan boom 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 <laughs> bringing in the illustration so yeah so i mean we may have just totally butchered that <laughs> i think it's helpful i think it's helpful i think it's helpful so uh so so we see uh places in scripture where you would go for this would be uh the jerusalem council mm-hmm. uh you see right elders elected or really appointed in those congregations coming together um i think another place that uh people would go to would be like hebrews 13 um, where it says, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who would give you a uh, given account. And so, um, they might even go to places in first Timothy where, where Paul talks about like a teaching elder or, or somebody that's been put in that position, um, to do that. So, so there's a little difference between Presbyterian and Episcopal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the last one, which is there's all variances of this, which would be <laughs> congregational, right? Which, which ultimately in its, stru- in its structured rigid form would be ultimately authority is vested in the members themselves. Um, places that they would look to would be maybe Matthew 18, you know, in matters of church discipline, tell it to the church. Uh, places like Acts 6, where even the apostles were selecting those men to serve in that ministry. Yeah. They said, pick out among yourselves. Um, and really what they're kind of hitting at is that all members or people who are part of the local church have equal rights and equal privileges. So yes. what are you saying, Stephen? <laughs> Just from a personal stance in scripture, uh, this has been taken to very, very deep places that it was never meant to go. And honestly, when you look in scripture, it's much harder to find evidence for a true congregational ruled church that's in favor of it in scripture. You can take pieces of scripture that say members have the ability have to responsibility. Have responsibility, they have responsibility, and they even have an ability to hold accountability of leadership. They do. You see that in Scripture where they are to hold them accountable, right? Sure. Uh, they're supposed to be studying the Scripture. They're supposed to be in the Word. However, to say that the congregation is the one who has the authority and rule to lead the church or is, govern the is church not it, you're going to have a hard time finding that in Scripture in its true, most pure, basic form. Yeah, and I think this is one of those aspects that. It's it's one of those pendulum things, right? It can swing really, really, really far to one side where it wasn't meant to go. Um, but you do, because I think where people take it from, you know, really you do see like we're a kingdom of priests. So everybody has, you know, responsibilities in a sense in that way. But I agree with you. It, it's it's really difficult to find a strict congregational based leadership. Form. Just being straightforward. If you look in history just track when congregationalism came on the scene in a heavy, heavy way. I would encourage our listeners, just go and do your own study. Uh, This is some homework for you, but do some study on when it really, really took off. And you'll see that a lot of how history has worked has propelled some of how congregationalism has formed itself. In some sense. Um, Because... While con- while the congregation does have the responsibility as Christians and ministers and the ability to have accountability for leadership, congregationalism, as in the congregation rules everything that happens, that is connected a lot to historical principles and his- history in and of itself and not scripture. What historical principles are you specifically referencing? Because I'm thinking of one. Much but... of the American movement and the freedom from authoritarian rule in Europe. If you look at how, right. if you look at how they both come together, it's very interesting. I'm just encouraging that Do I'm not going yeah, to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell you what to think on this, but I would encourage you to check that out. Sure. But perhaps they might find some reflections. It, from yeah, either. exactly. It's right. interesting. But so ultimately, I mean, we talk about those three things. Uh, so your congregational churches would probably be a lot of your like 
Not always, not always, because mm-hmm. this is this is really changing, and it mm-hmm. and, and it's not it always is. been that case. But I think a majority of like Baptist churches, uh, non denominational churches, um, even probably some types of charismatic churches would 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 fall under that type of congregational uh, Presbyterian. Of course, you know the Presbyterian Church yeah. would be a, a prime <laughs> example. But you know the thing is, it's not just in those rigid things. I think there's churches that embrace models of all three of those uh, in different ways. If I was going to be completely straightforward with you, I could not hold to either one of these three in totality and 100%. I I don't think I could either. I would fall somewhere between Presbyterian and congregational Mm because I believe that there's aspects of both that you find in Scripture. And so there's not really a category in just those three that I'd be like, <laughs> yeah, I'm there. Because I believe that there's some aspects of them that is true and biblical sure. that the others might not attest to. Yeah, some very fluid lines mm-hmm. in between those, basically. Very much so. Very mm-hmm. much so. I mean, because you could have churches that embrace different points of all three of those things. So this, this is yeah. that's a really rigid way of stating it. But, yeah. I, but I think you're right, Morgan. I think there has been such a pendulum swing, as, as especially in America, as we have reacted against any time type of uh, authority. Authority. I mean, yeah. I mean, we've seen that now in the Church of God, a, a push away from authority. And then I think we also see uh, error in authority in some of these like large denominations that are, are structured in those hierarchical ways that, once again, you, you don't see the church being able to um, uh, correct some of that mm-hmm. because they put people in leadership that probably shouldn't have been in leadership. Mm-hmm. And then you see just the, de- the devastation of that. And then yeah. I think what we want to do is throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, okay, well, that's bad. Let's, let's react this way. Mm-hmm. And, and here's the thing. When you look in scripture, if we were to follow scripture in scripture, it has, if you want to call them fail safes for problems with authority built in. That's why scripture argues for a plurality of leadership. That's right. Because we always want to say, well, authority is bad because so-and-so messed up. Sure, so-and-so messed up, but that doesn't take away the principle of authority because God in scripture instilled authority. He said, if you have a plurality of authority, it will keep accountability so that you don't have the problems that you're facing. Mm. (laughs) And we often skip over that and we just say, authority is bad. Boom, done with it. So I did have kind of a, as we start to wind down here, I did have a question. Is there a difference? Because we've discussed kind of elders and pastors here and stuff. Is there a difference between elder like led churches and elder ruled churches? Like how, how does that work when in, in an elder, when you have believe in elders or pastors, is there a difference between them ruling or leading the church? I think it all depends on how your church is set up. So hmm. yes, I would agree with that. Um, I think I think the question is ultimately where is the authority of that church um, um, vested in, right? And I think part of this is a pragmatic question mm-hmm. because I think a lot of it determines upon the size of your church mm-hmm. and the structure of your church. So, like Paul, as he sent you know uh, Titus to Crete, you know he was coming in to set up elders in that church in a very different way. Then Timothy was selecting elders in Ephesus because Ephesus was a very established church. Mm-hmm. It had been there for a number of years. And, and and you find interesting, I find, you know, Paul's admonition to Titus a little different than he does to, to Timothy. But I think the question ultimately comes down to is is uh, really a size of a size of your mm-hmm. church and and how a church is is set up. Because um, you know, there are some churches that are very large and they have what's called ruling elders. And those elders are once again selected out of their membership. And so rather than an entire congregation affirming something, the congregation has elected a certain number of representatives from their congregation to affirm things. And I think in that sense, a ruling elders can be helpful mm-hmm. uh, based on the size of a church. But also like, you know, you think about if it was a smaller church, then that may not make as much sense, I would think. What do you yeah. think, Morgan? I I mean, it's kind of difficult for me as far as I, – I would agree with what you're saying. You know, it is very specific to the needs of the church, the really the location and the size of the church. Like it's it's – it can be very needs-based in that respect, but I don't have much experience with it. So. Yeah, because even the principle of Scripture, it's not affirming how many pastors or how many mm-hmm. deacons. That's yeah. very left open. And I think the reason it is because it's 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 based off of qualified individuals, mm-hmm. and it's based off of the ones that um, God has called and the, the one that the church has appointed. And it also involves the needs of the church, right? Mm-hmm. So a church of 100 may only have a 
couple deacons, but a church of 2,000 might have a number of deacons. We probably should have and, a and number of deacons. Because the ministry itself has grown. And in the church of 100, those deacons might need to be some accountability to the elder there that he can't find. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, because there might not be another qualified individual to be an elder pastor in the congregation at that time, the deacons can provide some of the accountability. Basically what I'm saying is with a small church. Supposed to, yeah. yeah, exactly. There's supposed yeah. to be accountability and leadership. Sure. And I believe at times yeah. in smaller churches, deacons can serve as some accountability in sure. those areas sure. because when you they're do, within the plurality of visible leadership. Exactly. Because exactly. Exactly. when you get into bigger churches, then that is when you do have the plurality of elders and elders can keep each other accountable. And then the church affirms those elders and what they're doing. This is good stuff. Well, I hope maybe we've sparked some interest uh, for you. Maybe even you think about your own church where you're attending and you think about this episode. Maybe this would be some helpful things to take away uh, from where you're at. So as we kind of wrap up today, Morgan's going to give us our little takeout here. Yeah. So I I think something really uh, beneficial for our listeners, hopefully you've learned so much about more about like the structure and really what's behind this. Um, but I think if I could encourage listeners with one thing, it would be to very intentionally, if you don't already pray for your leaders, um, in your church, because as we've seen and talked about, there's so much that is riding on this office, this office of care and oversight and of upholding and, and encouraging and building up the church, um, to look more like Christ. It, it gets heavy sometimes. Um, I, you know, my my grandfather was a pastor, and um, just being uh, the daughter of someone who serves as a deacon, uh, just seeing some of the the tor- turmoil that comes with that. Um, pray for them so that they can lead um, wholeheartedly in confidence, following Christ, and um, to give honor to honor is due. You know, like our our pastors and the leaders of the church, they are they're held accountable, um, and it's it's so helpful when I believe the congregation can truly come behind and support because the pastors aren't just there to support us. We are also there to support our pastors. Um, and so pray for them and and honor them because this is it's a big deal. It's it's not something that should be taken lightly. And if it is, uh, <laughs> stop taking it lightly. <laughs> Yeah, Morgan, I completely agree with you. And I would also encourage our listeners to really study these things out for yourselves too. Again, we're not we're not telling you exactly what to think. We are t- encouraging you to go to scripture as we have gone to scripture today with a lot of this and to really study these things out for yourself and to see these things in scripture because scripture has the authority. Uh, even in God's church, the leadership, they do not have authority in and of themselves. All their authority is wrapped up in God and his word that he has given to us. Well, thank you for listening to Where We Land, Christ, Culture, and the Church. If you've been listening with us today, we're so glad that, to have you here. And if you have any questions or thoughts or uh, uh, something that came up from our episode today, uh, we'd just love to hear from you. So send us an email at podcast at whereweland.org, or you can message us on Facebook by looking up Where We Land. On our next episode, we're going to be talking about the role of women in the church. So it's going to be a great discussion, and we hope that you join us here next time. 